0: Welcome back to the Taxi Squad Podcast. This is Mike tuning in solo for the first time. I'm stoked for it. I hope everybody else is as well. Al has had some personal things that he's had to deal with here over the past month. Forgive the absence, but this is something that I will be leading myself moving forward. And I hope everybody is excited as I am. I'll be your new main host. The show is going to start shifting in a different direction moving forward. It's going to be just as fun. It's going to be just as exciting. It's going to be just as opinionated as it was in the past. And I really appreciate everybody sticking with us through this time. The follows, the comments, everything that has gone along with it. So without further ado, let's kick off episode five of the Taxi Squad podcast. Last episode, we gave our picks. It was a very exciting episode. It was a fun episode as well. Now, moving forward, we're going to continue to stay on certain topics as they've evolved now, if it be over the past month, and continue to bring you fantastic content. So let's get right into it. We're going to start with some Aaron Rodgers updates since this Tom Brady Phil and D Shambo golf match occurred some great sound bites came out of this I'm not sure if anybody got a chance to watch it but it was a ton of fun not a big golf guy myself but I will say that it was just good fun to watch guys like Tom and Aaron just jab at each other for a good three or four hours and it made me think a little bit it made me think a little bit And a lot of his actions were, at times, the guy that everybody knows, not the most lovable character in the world. I mean, let's face it, Aaron's Aaron. He's kind of the Jay Cutler of the NFC North, but far better than Jay Cutler. Now, with all of that being said, I just thought a lot of his statements were very wishy-washy, to put it lightly. Of course, he's not going to commit to anything. Of course, he's going to just say, oh, yeah, I'm just here to have fun and just focus in on golf and all this good stuff. And I guess that's fine and good and dandy. But then again, it's like, yeah, people want to know, are you going to be the starting quarterback for the Green Bay Packers this year? And there wasn't a straight answer there. There wasn't a clear answer at all, really. I wouldn't know if I would call it petty quite yet because. Training camp is about three weeks away. And with all of that being said, he very well might come back, and then he's the savior again. But is anybody going to look at the man the same ever again? Just as to how he treated the situation in general. And in my opinion, if there was a time to act this way, it's when they basically drafted your successor in Jordan Love. If there was going to be a time for you to act like a total clown, that would have been the time. That would have been the time to say, you know what, I'm not going to do this and trade me at this point in time if you don't feel as if I'm good enough to continue on in the future. But then again, maybe he felt as if he had something more to prove, and I still feel as if he has a lot more to prove. He's not in a Tom Brady conversation quite yet. He's not in a Peyton conversation quite yet. He's almost, if you were to break it down, he's Elway Light, right? He's only got one Super Bowl, really close to a second appearance, really close to a third appearance, and then in the twilight years of his career, finally we will get there. But I don't know if Aaron's going to be capable of seeing that through. He's in a division that he's owned for almost a decade plus it, to this point in time. So for you to continue to play these antics, I don't know, I feel as if there may come a time where he just might lose the team. He'll never lose guys like Devontae Adams. He'll never lose guys that are loyal to him, the Aaron Jones, all that good stuff. But the rest of these guys, maybe these rookies who don't know him really well, how do you show up to training camp and not have some sort of already preconceived notion of what this guy is? It's like the guy at work who slacks off, who is on vacation a lot, but somehow he produces, he does what he needs to do, he hits his numbers, he shows up when it's important, but beyond that, there's really not much more redeeming quality to the guy. Management kind of likes him, he's got a couple buddies in the business, but that's about it. I think that's a perfect explanation of kind of what Aaron Rodgers is. Not to go full Colin Coward here and relate it to business, but if you think about it, it is incredibly similar, and it's one of those situations where I do feel as if he is not the leader of men that he has been crucked out to be. He's not Tom Brady. He's not Peyton Manning. He's not guys, he's not a guy who could rally the troops quite like that. And I mean that's a question you have to ask yourself. If if you watch the years go by and and if you're old enough to remember the years of Peyton and in Indy and Tom in New England, well Tom was in New England from the time I was in the 4th grade to what 2 years ago. So I didn't really know uh Tom Brady not on the Patriots until last year. None of us did but they all had qualities of leadership and they could rally the troops and they could come back from behind. I'm not saying Aaron hasn't had that ability. He has. It just really makes you wonder where his heart is in this whole situation. Is it really about gun to guns? Is it really about the management? Is it really about that? Is it more of a personal thing? Is it about money? It's a question that'll go uh unanswered until the time is right, basically. I don't foresee a scenario where the Packers trade him. I've been very adamant about that from the beginning. And I do feel as if that moving forward, he has the ability to continue to compete and continue to win divisions and get into the playoffs and fight for that title. Time will tell. My opinion will always stay the same. With training camp coming up three weeks away, I still feel as if he shows up. I do feel as if he understands that his legacy will be tarnished if he does not. And what type of person are you looked at beyond that point? So it's going to be very interesting to monitor here moving forward. To kind of pivot on a topic of petty and to now look at things Now, from a different perspective, I want to kind of get into these new topics that have been pushed out into the media, of course, on purpose, almost the year anniversary plus of The Last Dance. And I think everybody understands where I'm going with this. These Scottie Scottie Pippen comments on Phil Jackson saying that he is racist and always has been. Well, everyone, of course, is entitled to their opinion. I do not believe a word the man says. If we want to talk about petty, I think this is one of the most petty comments I've ever seen. The success of Scottie Pippen's career is largely due to a man by the name of Phil Jackson. Also, a large part of his success is a guy by the name of Jerry Reinsdorf, owner of the Chicago Bulls. Guys who, who have empowered people like Jerry Krause, like Phil. Say what you want about him. They put together the pieces to win dynasties, basically. And no, one, no one can never take away those six rings. And I'll never take away from Scotty that he wasn't an integral part to those six rings. But everybody has to remember something about those teams. Everyone had a place. Everyone had a purpose. And a large part of that was due to Phil Jackson and his scheme. And what he drew up. And how he coached those guys. And how he related to those guys. So you're going to sit here and say one of the most winningest coaches in the NBA, period. Period. is racist when he has coached now numerous teams and I believe has a total of 11 NBA titles. You're going to sit here and, and, and say something like that with the amount of conviction he said it on the Dan Patrick show and said, I said what I said. It makes me really shake my head and it makes me just, Think like, is this about something bigger? Well, let's break it down. He has a new bourbon coming out. I'm a bourbon guy. Hell, I'm drinking bourbon right now as I talk to you all. Cheers. Will I ever drink his bourbon? No, 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 I won't. Especially after that comment. He also has a book coming out. You think I'm going to read that book? No. No, I'm not. If this is just going to be this blatant blast campaign of Phil Jackson and Michael Jordan, save it. Being a Bulls fan my entire life, Growing up in the Chicagoland area, having an opportunity to watch those last three final teams in my youth, being there, going to, you know, your mom would take you to Kohl's and you'd get the three ring shirts and you'd get the six ring shirts and you'd get the Scotty shirts with the ornate, you know, uh, crazy drawings of all these guys and the big heads, like all these old 90s styles. Uh, we're bringing at the time. By the way, those are all coming back. Not to get off topic, but it is kind of nostalgic for a kid like myself who was a full blown '90s kid. But you're going to now just alienate yourself to an entire group of people that loved you. And in Chicago, we we love are winning sports teams. There are no there is no two ways about it. Period. We love the people on that team. We ride or die in this town. Maybe not so much of the Cub fans who miraculously became White Sox fans in 2005, but we'll start to see that again in 2021. Uh, but we'll we'll stick to baseball towards the end of this show. But to stay on this topic, he has so many things coming up that need attention. So what's a good way to get attention? Throw these asinine comments out into the media. Make yourself look like, in quote, the bad guy, even if he isn't. Maybe maybe he doesn't believe these things that he's just blatantly saying that no one's going to ultimately believe. And Phil Jackson hasn't said anything on it, nor will he. Because, ultimately, he doesn't have to. What is Phil Jackson going to say? Phil Jackson has nothing to say. The proof is in the pudding. At times like this, I wish Kobe was around. I really do. R.I.P. Because I bet you Kobe would put him in his place. I bet you it would. I'm surprised Shaq hasn't spoken up either. Because those are guys who are also coached by Phil. And that leads me to my next point. If he was such a terrible racist, meaning Phil Jackson, how did he get so much out of almost all African-American teams? If we look at those early 2000 Laker teams with Kobe, Shaq, Fox, Fisher, almost 80% of the team are African-Americans and, and, You're going to come out with some shit like that? For real, though? I'm sorry. I just... I have lost a lot of respect for Scottie Pippen. I have. And I think a lot of people have in the industry alone. If you've read Stephen A.'s comments, if you've read anything in the media, it's trash. Bottom line, it really is trash. and I believe this will hurt his reputation more so then gain from it in any monetary way. If that's a bourbon, if that's a book, if that's anything. I don't think it's going to sell. I don't think the bleeds and leads category fits in this a square a peg, basically. But that's something I wanted to segue on. And Now let's, let's stay on the topic of NBA. Let's go positive. Let's go positive on NBA. If anybody has had a chance... To watch this NBA playoffs. It has been exhilarating. It has been exciting. It has been fun. I haven't had this much fun. Watching the NBA playoffs. In over a decade. And I can legitimately say that. There is defense being played. Miraculously. The refs aren't calling. Bullshit. Fouls. And and it makes you really like. Think like. Does the star category real really hold that much weight? Where it's like, wait a minute. Well, LeBron would have totally gotten a foul right there, but you know Booker got put on his ass driving to the lane, and it, hey, eh, that was a clean move. If that was LeBron, if that was KD, if that was Steph, if that was Clay, we're we're gonna really sit here and sit here and believe that those aren't false, because I don't believe it. Not for a second. Not for one effing second do I believe that. I am under the impression that this may be the resurgence of what the NBA used to be, and if so, if it is, oh, I'm jacked, because I grew up a 90s kid, as I just stated. I grew up in this era of defense and fighting for that win and all of these things. Not not like, you know, I can say I've ever seen a game 7. Shout out to MJ. I never got that far. But then again, those games were hard fought. Those games had defense. There was real structure to what was happening. And I love it. It isn't this hero ball nonsense. If if you got a chance to watch the Phoenix Suns, they move the ball around. It's not about just getting the ball to the superstar and letting him roll. It's not that at all. They play towards the best characteristics of their players. They give Chris Paul the shots he likes to take. They give Devin Booker the, The shots he likes to take. Jamison Crowder has his place. He knows his role. And he plays it very well. That's something, even as old school as it is, it will always work. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? I believe that without a doubt, this will go down as a shifting point in the NBA. Because now it really makes you scratch your head. LeBron was in the league, yay, D got hurt, KD's in the league, yeah, okay, all of that assemblance of super team got hurt at the same time, so I understand it might just be like perfect storm, perfect place, perfect time. But are we just going to be ignorant to the fact that they all were beaten by teams lesser than they were, lower seeds? The Bucks were still competing, say what you want. The Bucks were still competing in that series, even when Harden was around, even when Kyrie was around. The first two games were pretty ugly, and it looked pretty decisive. And I, I mean, we even said it on the show. No one was going to get past Brooklyn. But then again, it makes you kind of wonder. Probably could have happened. If the right scenario happens where they figure them out defensively or offensively and then start to play away of those trends, knows but the only thing i do know is things happen for a reason and this series i will tell you what will be one of the best nba finals you will watch in a very very long time and if anybody got a chance to watch that game if it was on tuesday night what a tremendous showing it was what a fun game to watch phoenix came out hot Chris Paul looked like the Chris Paul of old. Devin Booker looks like the the second coming at Kobe. I mean, it's it's going to be really fun to watch, and it's going to be a very fun team to watch coming out of the West moving forward in Phoenix. It's also going to be fun to watch the Bucks coming out of the East moving forward. My prediction, I'm taking the Suns in five. Everybody put some money on that if you haven't. There are some interesting parlays going on. I believe Chris Paul has a couple other 20-plus point games in him. Same thing with Devin Booker. So I hope everybody enjoys watching that series, but you heard it here first, Suns in 5. So a main topic of this show is football. As you always know, we have talked a lot of football on this show, and I'm still going to continue to provide some quality opinions on the fact. So we started with football. We're going to move out with football. So I want to talk about these young starting quarterbacks. We're going to go team by team and we're going to figure out if these guys are going to start game one or not start game one. Being it so that I am a large Chicago bears fan and a Chicago boy myself, That's where we're starting. So let's go. Can Justin Fields beat out Andy Dalton? This has been a question I've seen since they drafted him. There's no question. It's just a matter of when. Now, is it the timeline Matt Nagy keeps stating? No. No. This isn't a scenario where you have one of the most high-powered offenses in the league. By the way, the Kansas City Chiefs did. They were a top 10 offense in the NFL when they drafted Patrick Mahomes. I'm not sure if anybody remembers that, but that's true. They were still competing into playoff games and getting there. So when they drafted Patrick Mahomes, it was like a clear means to an end. Like, okay, yeah, Smith is getting old. He's aging. We need a replacement. Mahomes has the pedigree. He has everything. They had that luxury to let him sit and process and move into the role smoothly. Let's face it, people. The Chicago Bears do not have this luxury. Not for one second. We don't have this luxury. And I've stated it on the show more than once. But I do believe at the first sign of trouble, Dalton's out, Fields is in. And it's that simple. If you drafted a guy, you had enough conviction on him to take him as early as he did to trade up to get him. He's going to start this year. There is not a if and or but about it, basically. It's just a matter of when at this point. So time will tell. I've always predicted week four. So we will see after that stage of the game where the Bears are. To stay on this Bears topic, interesting news coming out of the Bears camp where they're saying a lot of scouts had Justin Fields ahead of Trevor Lawrence. And if that's the case, I'm even further over the moon than I was in the beginning. (laughs) I will say that Trevor Lawrence is a generational talent, and now to move to the Jags, There is no way on God's green earth that Trevor Lawrence is not starting for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Chances are Tim Tebow will not be on the team. I know Al will love to hear that from me on this episode as much as I love to bust his chops. There may or may not be a way that that happens, but I do not believe it happens. But there was an interesting contract dispute there, if anybody else got a chance to see that, that. He was threatening to hold out potentially. And that gives me some questions. Did he really want to go to the Jags? Who knows? He didn't answer his phone for like three or four phone calls. He just let it go to voicemail. When the Jags were calling him, calling him, calling him. And then finally Urban calls him and then he picks up the phone. It's very interesting to me to see exactly where this will be going this season. I, I believe they'll they'll be lucky to get a seven-win team out of them. They got a rough schedule, a very rough second half of the year. But I still believe you're going to see the wow factor and all these things that you've seen from Trevor Lawrence. You will. There is no doubt about it. It's going to be very interesting to watch and see. And I'm not sure if anybody pays attention to ESPN. And the commentary that's been coming out over the past two weeks or so now. But there's a lot of people who believe that this whole experiment with Urban is not going to work. They're saying it might work this year. They might look good. and then, But they're saying long term, it is not going to work. And that's coming from the, the likes of Paul Feinbaum, who is... Like college football guy number one He's a big SEC guy He knows about Urban He knows the stories He knows it all I hate to say it But I kind of trust the man's opinion He's never been here Urban's never been here And anywhere he has been He's found a way To get negative light Drawn towards him If that's Improper due process, if that's hiring people who have poor track records, if there's a lot of things here, sure, he wins when it's time. But we have to be understanding of the fact of where this man comes from, the experience level he has. I don't know. None of us do, basically. Paul Feinbaum makes a lot of sense, and he's rarely incorrect about his predictions. But then again, it's journalism, so it's their job at times to be incorrect and kind of stir the pot. So at this stage of the game, I feel as if the Jags, of course, start right out of the gate with Trevor. He's going to probably have a 7-8 to win season is the best I would put it. And then next offseason, definitely believe the Jags to be big buyers in that free agency market. Now we're going to move on to the Jets. Zach Wilson, he better be the savior for the Jets. That's all I got. He better be the next Joe Namath. If he isn't, that poor Jets franchise, they might just be in worse trouble than we are if our draft pick doesn't shake out. Because at least we have something to lean on. We have defense. We have all that. I mean, they really don't. President Maul's gone. There's really no one there that they can build it around. I hope for this kid being playing for an independent, seeing a lot of him in the Pac-12. For everybody out there, you'll understand my allegiances to college football teams when the season starts. We're going to be covering that heavily this year. Got some fun guests coming on the show that you'll get a chance to hear from. We'll talk a lot of Big 12. We'll talk a lot of Pac-12. And the reason behind that is, is me, myself, I am quite a Pac-12 follower for the USC Trojans. Grew up a Trojan fan with all those boys growing up, if it be Liner and Reggie Bush and all those guys. Cushing, it was fun to watch. And they were winning championships, and Reggie Bush is arguably the most electric college football player that has ever been. Not only on top of that, but that program for many, many years was cream of the crop, was your Alabama, was your Florida. Not so much anymore, but just whatever you do, give Reggie his Heisman back. But I will say this, I did watch a lot of Zach Wilson in college, watching the Pac-12 as much as I do with those late games. And my opinion on Zach is this, he had games where you were like, whoa, This kid looks like the second coming of Aaron Rodgers. And then he had other times where he looked very much Mitch Trubisky. Now, do I believe he's Mitch Trubisky? No. But the track record isn't that great. He's a two-year starter. Okay, The Coastal Carolina game should tell you a lot if anybody got a chance to watch that game. He got destroyed that game. He got absolutely destroyed that game. That defensive line was coming after him. And they were close in that game, as they should have, because their defense kept them in the game. Zach wasn't putting up a ton of points. He wasn't single-handedly winning games like Trevor Lawrence, like Justin Fields. He wasn't doing that. It makes me really scratch my head, and I know they've drafted him To protect him, because the Vera Tucker move, all that good stuff. Solid. But if you don't protect this kid, he might be another instance of seeing ghosts. And then another Pac-12 boy. Sam Darnold. Something to chew on. Let's move towards the bay. Let's talk about Trey Lance here many reports are stating that Trey Lance has a legitimate shot of starting week one. And my whole thing here is, it's got to be proven in training camp. If you're in training camp, you're Shanahan, you're looking at Garoppolo, you're looking at this kid and the opportunities that they give you to win. Once again, to that whole theory You draft a guy to play him. So, with all of that being said, I think there's a legitimate chance that Trey Lance, if he just comes out of the gates hot in training camp, more so than any quarterback, that's kind of on that fence like a Justin Fields, like a Trey Lance. I mean, those are really the two guys who aren't going to be the definitive day one starters. I believe Trey Lance has a bigger opportunity to see the field first, more so than fields. And I've said that from day one. It's going to be interesting to monitor. It's going to be interesting to track how it all plays out. But I do believe they've lost faith in Jimmy G. The actions have spoke far louder than the words. I don't know if it'll be a scenario where Jimmy G does get the opportunity just due to the fact that he's there and Maybe they do like what they see, but it, maybe it's not enough to give him the week one start. Jimmy G knows the playbook. He knows all that. But who knows? Everything I hear was Trey Lance, kid is a whiz. All the offseason preparation since he had the time to process, to work with coaches, to learn different systems, learn different schemes, read defenses, all that good stuff. It may be an advantage to him. But then again, only playing one game in twenty twenty may also be a disadvantage to him, and it wasn't that great of a game. Now, this North Dakota State thing is interesting. Carson Wentz came out his first year and balled out. Is he that? And then we'll see. Who knows? But I do believe Trey Lance has a very good opportunity to start in the first two weeks of the season. Now, a lot of things can happen. Jimmy Garoppolo can go down in training camp. Seen it before I mean you don't wish any sort of Catastrophic injury like Teddy You know back in the day that was just horrible But anymore Jimmy's made of glass And I hate to talk like that about him He's a Chicago kid Grew up 15 minutes from where I live basically Who knows Maybe Jimmy G does get his opportunity To go back to the Pats Even though Mac Jones is there There's many things that could happen here, but I do believe the most honest answer would be Trey Lance out of any quarterback on the fence. If we're comparing the Bears and the Niners, he has the biggest opportunity to start before fields, and that's how I'll leave that. Now, I'm going to end on a topic that's very close to my heart. We're going to talk about a little bit about baseball and how this whole sticky substance topic has now progressed over the past month. It was a topic in the beginning that I was for. I do believe that it does give pitchers a semi-unfair advantage. Playing the game my entire life, I've done all of these things. I, I have played all these different positions and understand how difficult that can be to grip a baseball and all that good stuff, especially professional baseball. The seams aren't raised. It's not like a little league ball where the seams are raised and you can get a decent grip on it and hold it. But to what the lengths have gone with this shit, where now these guys are getting basically frisked in between innings to see what type of shit is either on their head, on their shoulder, in their pants, on their belt buckle. Are Are you kidding me? This is where we're taking this now. This Manfred era will go down as one of the worst eras of baseball I have ever watched in my entire fucking life. It's bad. It's bad. And I mean, this just adds to the layers of bad. With the runner on second baseball shit and extra innings, like we're in fucking beer league softball. Really? These are professional athletes. Runners should not be on second base in extra innings. I understand you're trying to speed up the games, but that's not the fucking way to do it. It is not. And now you're worried about sticky substances. Al Leiter, former pitcher, son coming out of Vanderbilt, came up with a great topic why don't you just come out with a universal substance like rosin like the rosin bag that sits on the mound that all these guys can use call it a day even the playing field fair here's here's a thought process why don't you just raise the seams on the ball problem solved no more sticky substances No more bullshit, no frisking pitchers in between innings, no nothing. Raise the seams on the baseball, it's a simple fix, you throw them into manufacturing, and you're done. I don't know if that's too far-fetched, because Major League Baseball is Major League Baseball. But whatever this is, it is the wrong way of going about it, 100% of the way. It's just kind of sorry to see these guys go through this type of shit on a day in and day out basis. And I understand they're millionaires and they're playing a kid's game and they're getting their opportunity. Sure. But why do batters get to use pine tar? Gives you a better grip on the bat. Are you going to take away pine tar? What happens if you take away pine tar now? Then what do you have? Now you have hitters bitching that I don't have a competitive advantage. It's kind of like six dozen of one and half dozen of another. And I understand the spin rate topic and all this good stuff. And these sticky substances are giving you extra spin rate. And of course, with these pitchers now where, you know, 95, if you're hitting that on a gun, it's kind of, it's not what it used to be. 95 in the early 2000s and late 90s, you were thrown really hard. Anymore, that's just mainstream. Guys are throwing consistently at 99, 98, 100 miles an hour today. And that's just the evolution of the game, right? But if we really break it down, hitters are at all-time low of batting average across the league. And the way of fixing it is not frisking Pitchers in between innings. And I hope one day Robert Manfred could hear this. Chances are he's not. I'm not not on that platform yet. But this is not fixing the issue. Bottom line. My quick fix. Raise the seams on the baseball. Adds to grip. That's how I'm ending this show. Raise the seams, baseball. Raise the seams as we will continue to raise the bar of the Taxi Squad podcast. Everyone, I do appreciate your patience and waiting for this episode to finally get out into the distribution, and I'm very excited to continue to bring you great content. Please like, follow, share all of it. Without a following, this doesn't exist, and this is something that is near and dear to my heart, and it will always continue to go. Come hell or high water. That's how I look at it. So please leave your comments. Please shoot me messages if there's any topics you would like discussed. I appreciate it. Everybody have a great rest of your week. Thank you once again.